Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College, Emory, Virginia. I'm John Shuck, the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. I am thrilled to have in the studio Rabbi Rob Cabelli of the Beth Israel Congregation in Asheville, North Carolina. Rabbi Cabelli stopped by the studio to speak with me about Judaism in general, Judaism in Appalachia, and social justice in the Jewish tradition. Welcome, Rabbi Cabelli. It's great to be here. Thank you so much, John, for inviting me to be on the air with you. I'm so excited to have you with us. I want you to tell me a little bit about uh, your congregation. Uh, where is it located? How many members do you have? Um, what's its history? It, um, the congregation is literally about 110, 115 years old. It's one of two congregations in Asheville. Both are in the northern side, side of the city. I, I guess you could say the earlier part of the city. And they both date back to the 1890s. There was an influx of Jewish peddlers, some of whom stayed and became merchants, into western North Carolina in the 1870s, 80s, 90s. And by the mid-1890s, two congregations formed. And they're both there. They've changed their locations many times. You know how it goes. One burned down at one point in time. Um, And they're still both there and thriving. One is Um, now associated with the reform movement, and one is now associated with the conservative movement, which has nothing to do with politics. Um, And uh, they're both healthy and thriving. My congregation has about 160 family unit members, and, uh, and it's located on a very nice parcel of land. We're about to start a community garden that will join an alliance of community gardens. And in fact, the site that we're on in World War II was the site of a community victory garden. So it's a nice congregation. So what is, um, some people might not be familiar with the difference between reform and conservative, and what are and the other branches of yes. uh, Judaism? What are some of the differences? Well, the difference is, and and I'll try to be real quick about this, it kind of goes back to the early 1800s in Germany, which was a focal point in in Europe and in the Western world for the Enlightenment, you know, modernism, if you will. And there were some real issues that a lot of people were starting to be educated at universities and were part of this modern movement in which really put forward science and rationalism and human rights as centerpieces, some people started to have the feeling that some of the words and language and even concepts and ways of life of their, of their own religion might not be meeting that test of modernity. And that gave rise to the reform movement. Then the, uh, and they were reformers, if you will, uh, very similar to some of the things going on in the Christian world mm-hmm. that left, gave rise to Presbyterianism, Protestantism, and many other. And some people thought they were going too far and decided, well, we want to make sure we conserve the essence of our faith tradition, the wisdom 
of experience that it has to teach. And they called themselves, in, in a non-political choice of the phrase, they used the word conservative, meaning they wanted to conserve even while being open to modernity. And so the catchphrase in the late 1800s, early 1900s or 20th century was tradition and change. And the those who remained most traditional defined themselves as being orthodox in response to being reform or conservative. And those were the, that was the first development of, let's say, three movements in Judaism. And now there are many sub-movements and branches, um, reform, reconstructionist, renewal, modern orthodox, orthodox, ultra-orthodox, Hasidic, many, it's a, it's a, it's a, vast, if you will, spectrum, although I know that the Christian spectrum is, if anything, even broader and more complex. The divisions among the non-Orthodox, the Orthodox being the most traditional, the divisions among the other movements are becoming blurry at well, this point. Well, that's what point. I was wondering, if, yeah. that, if they were distinct and consistent. People would ask me my, the difference between a Presbyterian and a Methodist, and I yes. would say there are probably, within those traditions, more differences and similarities um, based on other authority of the Bible, things that have changed now. And I think that's largely speaking true and becoming even truer with every passing day. Um, re renewal, which brings in many um, elements of Eastern philosophy and meditational practices, along with some of Hasidic Judaism into a very liberal, if you will, from a religious perspective, environment, Reconstructionists. These all have filled in certain places on the spectrum. But the reality in my congregation is that we have an enormous breadth of perspectives on almost any religious, spiritual, or faith approach you could imagine. I notice in your website, you it says that we are an egalitarian conservative congregation, extend all honors to men and women. Does that mean women can be rabbis? That's right. And in fact, when I went through seminary, this is a second career for me. I know you, you're aware that my first career is in science, and I have a feeling you want to ask me about that. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I went through seminary, actually, a majority of my incoming class was female. And it was in the 1980s that in the conservative movement, women became ordained for the first time. I believe the 1970s in the reform movement. And now even within the modern Orthodox section of the Orthodox movement, there is fairly intense pressure to, to follow that path in one form or another. And so I think we're, we're seeing major developments and changes in Judaism in terms of that within the 20th and 21st century. This is Religion for Life. I'm John Schuck. If you're just joining us, my guest is Rabbi Rob Cabelli, the rabbi of Congregation Beth Israel in Asheville, North Carolina. And we were talking about uh, Judaism in general and specifically uh, Judaism in, uh, in Appalachia. And... Um, and also about, Robin, your, your history and your own story. You have a doctorate in molecular biology. Uh, you studied developmental neuroscience, spent time as a research, science, uh, a research scientist and professor. So uh, why religion? What, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your own spiritual journey? When I was very young, when I was growing up, um, my father, who is also a scientist, was 
learning about his own Jewish background and identity. He was raised without much in the way of intentioned religion, and he was learning about that. And so I'd be going to Hebrew after school, Hebrew school, and my father would be going to adult education programs. And, and our home was becoming more observant, but in a very particular way. Um, Friday night, the Jewish Sabbath goes from Friday evening through Saturday evening. And on Friday nights, we would always have a special Sabbath or Shabbat dinner together. Um, Friday afternoon after school, I would be va- vacuuming. That was my job. <laughs> and there would we would light candles to usher in the Sabbath. The table was always set with the special special dishes, special napkins, special dinner. Everything was special. In fact, my mother would clean the house on Friday, so I knew Friday night when I went to bed that there would be clean sheets. There, everything was just a golden, warm glow. And so even after I went through a period during and post-college and on into my scientific career of becoming more and more distant from everyday observance of Judaism, the seed that was planted in me was very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. When I was a teen, I became very, very comfortable being in a synagogue setting. The music, if you will, of Jewish prayer and liturgy resonated with me. And so years later, as I started to respond to things in my own life and, and say, what is the real essence of who I am and who my identity is? Uh, I realized, first of all, that I was raised to not see any conflict between religion and science. Mm-hmm. I, was to, I was raised to essentially see them as both noble approaches to learning about and grappling with our world and what it means to be a human being in our world. And so I came to realize that I was needed to renew a spiritual path, needed to go back to finding out more about who I was, who I am, and what I need to be doing on this earth. Um, I'm much more of a people person than I am somebody who, who can feel comfortable locked away in a laboratory. And so the response to all of that was getting back into my own roots. And I was blessed to have the particular background that I came from, which is one in which I felt confident that there was love and nurture in it, that there was room for questioning and room for thinking. Between the time that I went to college and the time that I went to seminary, women, for example, were given the ability to become ordained within my movement of Judaism. That was a sign of a path forward. For me, that was really, really important Mm -hmm. if this was going to. And so I went from being very involved in a congregation during two years or so to realizing that, in fact, the seminary was the path for me because I wanted to be, if you will, wanted to be involved in helping ensure that the Judaism of the future would be meaningful and relevant. And I saw that it would be an expression of my values, my values in terms of social justice. That's Mm -hmm. part of the the 
reason of, or for being I, I, I hear of this program, um, that, that religion has taken a lot of hits lately, and faith has taken a lot of hits. And even within Judaism, there are many who have sought to go outside of Judaism looking for spirituality because they haven't been aware or sure that it was really present within Judaism. And so I decided that all of this, I, I felt called by all of that, as it were, to give my life over to this. We have, um, within Christianity uh, and science, within some realms of it, there there seems to be, I, I think, um, a contest. I, I, I think of a cartoon in which it has a, a drawing of Jesus and a drawing of Darwin in a fist fight. Yes. And I'm thinking, what an awful metaphor. What is your what is a metaphor that you have between perhaps between religion and science? I'm reminded of a cartoon too, which and, that, and this is not to, as an example of the metaphor, but maybe the opposite of, of somebody holding up a big sign that says truth and the T is a capital T. And, you know, people are searching in different ways. I, I guess my um, way of looking at this that I've come to in the last half dozen years that really conc concretizes very well, I think, for me at least how I see this all, is that both science and religion at their core, in their best sense of the word, are ways of embracing uncertainty. And so through science, we seek knowledge, but we seek knowledge understanding that there's always more to learn and that there may be things that we will never learn. And so it is our way of responding to the uncertainty in the world, un things that are not known. Religion, too, I think, at its best, is an embrace of uncertainty. I think the essential core of almost every religious and spiritual practice is humility. I think, unfortunately, we live in a world in which religion and science tend to demonize each other as, be, as having claims that feel unsupportable. I think there's also a challenge that both within religion and within science, there is a tendency in some cases for people to lose that grounding and humility as a mm -hmm. central kernel of what they are each doing. And I think that's what generates all of this, this terrible, terrible conflict that I think is really inappropriate. We as human beings live in the midst of uncertainty and things that are beyond our knowledge and understanding. And each, religion and science, each creates a way to try to embrace that uncertainty and turn it into something good. Doubt and faith are often seen, or doubt as opposite of faith, but what I hear you talking about is doubt is a component of faith. I think it needs to be or else we go on a path and we find a challenge to, to, not, to not be on a path that just leads us to the opposite of that humble aspect that I think is the core of religiosity and spirituality. This is Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck, and my guest is Rabbi Rob Cabelli, who is of the rabbi of the congregation Beth Israel in Asheville. And I want to talk with you a little bit about what it uh, being Jewish in Appalachia and what are some of the challenges. When I moved here, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I'm still overwhelmed uh, by all of the Christian symbols everywhere you look. And I have to think it's even probably 
be even more so for someone who's not Christian. I was driving down to Saluda, which is near the South Carolina border, still in the mountains in North Carolina, um, a week or two ago to visit someone who is interested in becoming Jewish. And along the way on the rural roads, right leading up to her house, there were these enormous white crosses. And um, now I grew up in Utah and then in Rhode Island in places, in both places where Jews were an extreme minority, extremely small minority. So um, uh, to me, it's in, in a way, it's the... It's familiar. Mm. Um, it doesn't bother me. I really feel that when we get to know each other, especially on a personal level, we realize all the things that we have in common as human beings. And so on some level, it's a challenge that we live in an area in Appalachia in which there are people, there's great diversity especially in an area like Asheville, great diversity of faiths and beliefs, but there's also a, strong, a real depth to belief as well that's expressed in these the things that you might see just driving around. I applaud that depth of faith and belief, that depth of, of caring and concern that I think it reflects as well the strength of community that I think it reflects as well. And so the challenge that I see is to, is to bring that depth of concern for community and for behavior into a fuller appreciation of the value of respecting and loving each other, even when we are different in some of our beliefs that we hold dear to. I think ultimately our human values are shared. I really do. And so I so so for me this is it's a wonderfully ripe and and exciting place to be because I think in a place like Asheville that merger or that intersection of all mer, intersection I should say of all these different cultures and strongly held faiths is a reflection of the challenge that we have in the world. And so I like to think locally as a way to affect change globally. I really think that we approach it on our own community so that you and I and others can sit across the table from each other and become friends. And I think when we do that, that we create a path forward. Do you think there are some ways in, uh, specifically that um, um, we can make our, our communities more open to the diversity of different religions? And you're working on some of those things now in Asheville. I think learning to how to be civil in our public discourse is incredibly important and modeling that because obviously there are a lot of different ways politically in particular but also in terms of religion where we're not communicating very civilly or very well and we're not really listening to each other. So in Asheville we've started something re recently, a number of clergy with me, but it's not an interfaith conversation called the Asheville Listening Project in which we try to gather together groups of people who have diversity of all on all, all different levels to simply speak to each other, with each other, listening to each other as we reflect on our own lives. 
And that's one way, and we've gotten a lot of support from the Asheville Citizen Times in terms of this project, and we hope it will continue to develop. I'm also involved in interfaith dialogue, but especially, I think, interfaith work where we're actually people of different faiths are joining together, working together on social action and social justice projects is a very, very important thing, and I'm involved in a number of those. But I think the schools are also really important. Mm -hmm. that our children live in multicultural, multiracial, very diverse environments when they are in school. And the schools can become the place through which our new generations learn to respect each other and learn about each other even while holding on to their own faiths and their own beliefs. And so I think the ways in which the school systems can participate in that is incredibly important. Is there a way in particular that a school could do uh, something more along this line? Well, I think there are federal and there are especially state mandates for more education about religion in schools. And I think the important distinction that needs to be made is the difference between education about religion and promotion of individual religions. Education about religion is very important. It's otherwise, our students will be not be equipped to deal with the world they are living in. Mm -hmm. um, allowing freedom of speech is, is incredibly important as well, but making the distinctions between those and any form of promotion of a particular religion. Those are really important. We need to appreciate the sensitivity and vulnerability as human beings of our children and care for that and nurture their, their development in all ways that are important to them as human beings. And I think we can do this. I think we can find the right tone, the right decisions to make. But I think it's just as important that we conceive of that as being a community-wide project because, in fact, community members have a lot to learn on that score as well. Right. My guest is Rabbi Rob Cabelli of Congregation Beth Israel in Asheville. This is a religion for life. What do you wish Christians understood about Judaism? Is there are there any misconceptions that you find recurring? In a certain sense, fundamental misconceptions that some Christians have about Judaism is that Judaism is different from the religion of the biblical Israelites. There's a difference between mm -hmm. biblical Judaism and modern Judaism. And first and foremost, what modern Judaism, which developed around the same time that Christianity developed, they're really sister religions, not mm -hmm. parent and child in many ways. The, the parent religion for both of them was biblical Israelite Judaism. Right. Um, one of its major um, elements in becoming post-biblical was that the idea of serving God through ritual sacrifices of animals or, or burning grains on an altar gave rise to, in place of that, deeds of loving kindness, specifically as the replacement in terms of service to God. In terms of interpreting the five books of Moses or Torah, which tradition held was divinely inspired, what came about with the shift to rabbinic and then modern Judaism is the idea that human beings, 
representatives of their communities would be involved in the continual, continual, ongoing reinterpretation of Torah in order to turn it into an actual guideline for creating a civil, just spiritual life within a community. And so Torah, in a certain sense, while in the narrow sense it's the five books of Moses, in the broadest sense, it's human beings learning about the world and about each other. So mm. it's the embrace of knowledge. It's the embrace of the human element in that endeavor of continually reinterpreting and deriving wisdom from Torah. And what that means as well is that Judaism is a religion without much in the way of creeds, specific statements of faith except oneness of God, and you can interpret that in many different ways. And beyond that, it's a religion that embraces questioning. Um, again, embracing that unknown rather de than defining some essential creedal truth. That's the hallmark of Judaism. I remember growing up and thinking, well, that Judaism was all about the law, and Torah was law and right. rules, and, and, and Christianity, and the opposition, was, was grace and freedom. And, of right. course, that's uh, it's an oversimplification for yes. all of them. Yes, it is. And so I guess one of the things is that Judaism does embrace law just as America embraces law, mm -hmm. just as most societies embrace law. Judaism embrace, embraces law as a means for a people to express its core values and ensure that individuals within that society do not trample on each other's rights as human beings, independence as human beings, free will as human beings. And so I, I think this is, it's not only an issue in terms of how Judaism is perceived, as you termed it quite correctly, it's also an issue, I think, in terms of how we perceive the, the balance between law and liberty, even in America, for example. It's the concept that law is the structure for preserving liberty and, and for, but in a ritual in a, and in terms of Jewish observance and ritual, law is a form in which someone can feel the richness of spiritual connection to others. My parents keeping the Sabbath the way they did when I was growing up in terms of Friday night observance wasn't legalistic. Mm -hmm. Instead, it created an incredibly warm, powerful, nurturing spirit for me. Mm -hmm. yeah. Rabbi Rob Cabelli, it has been a delight to have you on our program. I wish we had more time to talk further. Thank you for being uh, with us on Religion for Life. And thank you so much. It has been an honor to speak with you this day. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. You can find more information about Rabbi Rob Cabelli's congregation, Beth Israel, at its webpage, www.bethisraelnc.org. He and I had so much to talk about that we decided to continue our conversation. So join us next week as I talk with Rob Cabelli of Beth Israel Congregation in Asheville. I'm John Schuck, the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. More information about my congregation can be found at fpcelizabethton.org. Information about Religion for Life, including upcoming shows and podcasts, are available at religionforlife.me. Follow Religion for Life on Facebook and Twitter. 
Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Emory, Virginia. Be well.